Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com and you might just hear an answer on our next series. I grew up in a very small town, very rural, very conservative, and life kind of felt rigid. And, you know, I'm incredibly thankful for the values and the morals that I had instilled into me growing up. But I think the plan was kind of presented in a way that it was either the right way the wrong way and there was nothing mm. and in my 20s you know I think that that period of discovery of kind of the doors were starting to open up and I'm starting to realizing this gray space is really the happy space and that's where I felt the most free I also felt the most uncertain mm -hmm. unpaved way and I found a lot of freedom in, in that gray area and I felt like for the first time I was able to kind of understand what I want in life and what I believe it felt like the safe space, the creative space. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Hey y'all, today I'm super excited to invite you into a really fun conversation Lindsay and I got to have with Mary Lawless Lee. Mary is the founder of the Happily Gray brand and Nema Skincare Line, and she also is the author of the new book, Happily Gray, Stories, Souvenirs, and Everyday Wonders from the Life in Between. As Mary shares, she's also an on-site alumni, so that brought a really beautiful element to this conversation. This was one of those conversations that I walked away wanting to be best friends with Mary. She's kind, creative, and grounded, and we talked all about the tension and growth that she's faced over the last decade plus of living her life online with now over 200.5 million followers, building thriving and demanding businesses, walking away from her career in nursing, getting divorced and married, leaning into the gray space, and becoming a mom. She has lived a lot of life in that time, and she so kindly shares the insights of her experience with us in a way that is so inviting and inspirational. So I can't wait for you to get to know Mary, and if you think you know her, today is going to give you a whole other view inside of her. I'm so excited to be sitting down today with Mary Lawless Lee, and Mary, I have been looking forward to this conversation after digging into your new book, Happily Gray. And at Onsite, we often talk about being human beings and not human doings. And so with that in mind, who is Mary? 
Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be a part. Um, so I'm Mary Lawless Lee, and I'm actually based in Nashville. I have attended on-site Living Centered Program and mm. life-changing and so thankful for that time there. But yeah, I so I have a digital media brand, and I've been kind of in that space the last 10 years. My background mm. is nursing, so it's, a, it's an odd... Big job. <laughs> yeah. It's an odd hybrid, but it's 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 painted an interesting story and given me an interesting perspective, kind of having the juxtaposition of the two. I have a personal care skincare brand for mom and babies that I launched almost a year ago, and I most recently wrote a book. This book really captures the heart of the other side of the story. My mm-hmm. the content that I've shared the last ten years has been a highlight reel of yeah. you know. A lot of our content is rooted in fashion and lifestyle and a lot of creativity and inspiration. But this really captures the other side of the story, the messiness, the journey, the getting there, the hardships, and just really the painful times and and moments that have been pivotal for me. And I'm excited to be able to share this with other women. And Mm. my hope for this book is that women feel seen and heard and that if someone is feeling alone, and their pain that this will help them feel a little less alone and they'll feel a little more understood. Mm, I love that. I, I just, there's so much in what you just shared that just piqued my interest. And so you were uh, ER nurse. I worked in uh, cardiovascular ICU for seven years. Okay. Wow. And I loved it. It, it just was, I, I always kind of knew I wanted to be a nurse. I love taking care of people. Mm-hmm. I still do. And, you know, I started Happily Gray. It was a blog at the time. And I started it 10 years ago as a creative outlet. And I've always loved to write. Journaling and writing have always been, you know, a creative outlet, a deep passion of mine. And that kind of kick-started this, you know, unintentfully, this, this, this creative outlet that has now evolved into a full brand, my love for writing. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, you know, my, my background in nursing is I hold a lot of respect and gratitude toward that time and the lessons that I learned. And as a nurse, you, especially care, you were so close to that great area in life, yeah. life or death. And I learned so much about the human spirit, the human body and those interactions mm. time and I just, I, I, I developed true grit and true gratitude through those experiences, and I'm so thankful. So a lot of that perspective kind of is migrated into this, this now digital marketing world that I live in. Yeah, grit was the word I was thinking of because I was thinking there must be so many personal and professional things that you carry into. Um, I really do believe that there's nothing wasted in our journeys, and so grit was the word I was thinking, so it's funny that you said that. Um, what has that taught you? about being empathetic and kind of leaning into this new, like, as you've been in this journey, have you been able to pull on to some of those gray spaces to maybe unveil this more vulnerable side of yourself than maybe you've been showing? What did that look like? You know, this book really is a step into that vulnerability. Um, Like I mentioned, you know, this is the non-highlight real side of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, so my life on social media, I've never quite, I was never quite okay with, you know, broadcasting some of these stories that are in the book on social media. 
I, I yeah. felt like it was just me communicating them versus creating connection. And mm. a lot of times in our vulnerability, that's what we seek the most is, you know, it's connection at the end of the day. Yeah. So I really wanted to reserve a lot of these stories for a sacred place to then be able to open the door for conversations and community and connection. And so, yeah, it's a lot of that, you know, the gratitude and the just the things that I learned around humility and how fragile life life can be as a nurse kind of, mm. you know, were, were the pillars of getting me to this point of really stepping into that vulnerability because, you know, you all, everyone always sees one side of the story and mm-hmm. there's always 50 sides of the story. And it was really important to me to be able to share that other side. And um, I knew I wanted to do it in a safe, sacred space. And so these pages in this book are reserved for that and hoping that then that can open the door on social, just in social media to be able to like speak more into them. But I think social mm. media needs to be place. Sometimes, yeah. you know, yeah. broadcast all of that and put it all out there. And so, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking when you were talking about social media and sort of, it feels like there are sort of like two different trains of thought, but there are like people that have like really curate and are creating content, but they have a sense of what users or readers or followers want. And then they sort of create content around that. And then you have sort of the, a really extreme, like people that sort of share so vulnerably so much. And it's hard, you know, sometimes to find the more textured layer in between of that. And I love hearing sort of as you've really curated content and been intentional about that, you've done it with the sort of intention of holding back some of the sacredness so that they're used appropriately. I'd love to just hear more about sort of, you have a huge following on social media, you know, how have you always thought about it? And how are you thinking about it now as you like grow and build an audience there? You know, it's, it's evolved. over. So I've been doing this for the last 12 years and it has really evolved. And, you know, it can be quite toxic, um, isolating community. As you know, one of the chapters in my books is, is a book is dedicated towards how unhealthy and how, you know, the lack of boundaries. And I think it's really it's an important conversation, especially for our youth, because uh, mm. I didn't grow up this way. And so now experiencing it as an adult, when I have a little bit more tools uh, to, you know, to kind of navigate, to me, it's really scary for our youth who are growing up with it. And, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're learning this to be the norm. And so I want to, and so that's why I do think it's important. There's an organization called the other side of the story that the entire mission is about the, the, you know, showing all sides of it in the journey and kind of Mm -hmm. like what I was mentioning earlier, that is really the heart of this book. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, now I would say getting to a place where I think it's, it it really is about community and connection. So for us at Happily Gray, there's always been this sense of discovery through fashion and lifestyle and creativity, but it's always grounded in honesty and authenticity and, and just yeah. rudeness. And 
you know, I, I think I think it's really important because uh, I myself, I talk about this in my book, have felt isolated. Scrolling Instagram, I have boundaries that I do not scroll. I get on, I post, I, I, I look at accounts, you know, that, that I appreciate and want to be fulfilled by. But I think that we have to have those safety nets in place yeah. to be able to create, you know, the, the, the space and the time around it that we want and have boundaries and for us, it's a lot of it now is about community building. It's about not the growth, but enriching what we're doing and having impact and reason behind what we're doing. We have a skincare brand called Eva that's uh, created for mom and babies. And same thing with that community as well. I think enriching what the impact and the community and, and, and creating a, a community of support for mothers. And mm-hmm. so it's, and I think we're seeing that as a whole with, with social media of yeah. community being more important now than it ever has been because it does feel more isolating and lonely and can feel rejecting um, than it ever has been. Yeah. I'm curious that like kind of how you guys started more in like a lifestyle fashion space and has as social media has evolved, as your audience has evolved, have they started to ask for more of that connection piece and how have you done that well? Because I imagine that that connection comes at the expense of sharing a little bit more of yourself. And yeah, what does that look like? I've always struggled with that, that, that line of privacy. And, yeah. and because with that is, is also like the boundary of when do you turn it off? When, mm. you know, I, I talk about in my book about when documenting life becomes more important than living life. Mm-hmm. And That's that really, really, three years ago, that really hit home because that's when I started to have kids I became a mom and realized that, it, I mean, your time, my time at that point had just even become more valuable and mm-hmm. hard, not only my time, but also theirs. And so, yeah, I think that for me, it's been a very slowly evolution and really trying to guard and protect that time and to put those boundaries in place. But it's, but it is hard because people want more. And also you want to be able to show them all sides of the story. You don't mm-hmm. want to show the pretty picture. So it's a, it's a team effort at Happily Gray on our part to, as a team to make sure that we're not just showing the pretty picture. We're not just, we're speaking to women and talking about real topics that are associated with this element of discovering and creativity um, through fashion and lifestyle. But it's, yeah, I mean, I think it's a hard balance. We also even talk about that. We talk about mm-hmm. the nature of knowing when to, t- when to turn it off and the boundaries in place. There's a chapter in my book where I list out, the di- it's called a digital detox. And it's simple. Yeah. But these are the things like I know from 4.30 to 8 p.m., no social media. I'm not on my phone. My, my husband and I both aren't on our, on our phones because that's when, that's our kid time. Yeah. to eight. And so little things like that, having them in place has helped, you know, with it, but it's kind of a beast at times, you know, it's Definitely. kind of, it's, it's, I think it's, the, it's a lot of the reason why I was at on site and feeling depleted and, and needing yeah. to refocus and needing to reestablish those boundaries. Hmm. And it was funny. I was, I have a 10 month old and I was thinking this weekend because we had kind of like a slower weekend, which was nice, but I was scrolling through social media as I do in some of my free time. And I was like really aware of where everybody else was. And it like Mm. created such a sense of 
like dissatisfaction kind of with where I was, even though it was like just what I needed to be doing this weekend. And I like remember thinking to myself, gosh, like it'd be so nice to live in this era without it, you know, like live in a time before where we weren't constantly aware of, you know, our friends that are in Paris or, you know, doing all these things. And also, you know, that's, that's like one side of the story too, what you're seeing in that picture too. Oh, totally. Right. It's, it's, then you create, you know, stories in your head of, and then there's that comparison factor that comes in and it can be a really slippery slope to, to go down. And, um, for me, like I talk a lot about uh, perfectionism and that's just rooted in, in who I am and it kind of how social media can intensify that landscape too. And kind of with what you're saying, like even go, going into further, you know, intensifying that and feeling more isolated. So it's, I think it's important that we're having these conversations. I think that it's important for our youth to be able to have to learn how to navigate and have yeah. that with it and to just have you know continue the emphasis and the importance of the present and mm-hmm. staying present and being I, I that meant so much to me I tattooed it on my body <laughs> years ago because I, I I couldn't you know quite grasp it but I think that is so important to um, instill in our youth yeah I'm a um, follower of Nima and user of several of the products. They're amazing and they're so great. And even it's so cool watching how that brand shows up on social media and how open people are with showing their scars and then the process of healing their scars with the different products. And when I attended the Living Center program prior to working at Onsite like five years ago, and I always would talk about sort of the catalyst for me going when there was like I really needed to work on this wound that was kind of not healing well and that it felt like it was kind of oozing (laughs) on people. And that sort of the work that I was able to do at Onsite was like able to take the time and really acknowledge the wound and like clean it out and let it heal properly. Mm -hmm. And so just the visualizations that came when you were talking about the authenticity of your brands, how you want to show up on social media, just brought that imagery to mind for me. And it feels like such a, a tangible like visual of what we kind of do yeah. on site and what the healing process looks like and requires, which a lot of times is that acknowledgement and then the working on it, getting better. I'm terrible about putting the cream on every day on my C-section scar, but I need to be better about doing it because that's what's going to make it better instead <laughs> of just living with it. So I just, uh, I thought, I think that that is just a cool visual of kind of healing in general. We, we talk a lot about that at NEMA and, and a lot about the self-love and learning to love yourself. And that's where it all starts, loving yourself so that you are able to love others. For me, I had to do a lot of work before we launched that brand because I, I, you know, I knew what I wanted my message to be. But then I realized, like, oh, I'm not really living that myself. It was yeah. a wake-up call to myself. And, you know, becoming a mom made that so apparent that I, you can't give what you don't have. And I remember feeling that tremendously when I brought our second home. And 
and being so depleted. I talk about it in chapter eight in NEMA, uh, the chapter talking about NEMA and how I didn't have, I didn't have it to give. Everything, you know, felt like crazy and I felt almost dissociated from it all. And it was because I was not, I had forgotten how to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, motherhood has been such a good reminder for me of the importance of self-care, self-love. And that's really where it starts. And that's what's going to enable, you know, me to, to love my children and my children to love themselves and then love others in this world. It's just such a, such a big wake-up call because I'm really terrible at it. But the, one of the first steps in that was attending Living Centered. I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier, but it was halfway through writing this book. And I'm one of those people that it has to stop me in my tracks before I actually will make the change. Yeah. And it's that experience really because I'm, you know, kicking myself. Why do I wait this long? You know, Mm. motherhood is such a great reminder of that. Yeah. I loved reading your chapter about becoming a mother um, and kind of even like the trauma you had with your birth and how your nurse training kicked in. Um, And I just, just the way that you framed it was really relatable. And so one, I wanted to say thank you because I just kind of gave me a me too moment. Um, And I love this quote. I forgave myself not for failing to meet my expectations and what you thought birth would look like, but for setting them in the first place. And so I wonder what even from that first moment about expectations and what it's going to look like um, have you carried into motherhood and how does that show up for you? Because I really, really related to that. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, so a lot of my work has been in kind of recreating this unrealistic outlook I have of what the mm. to look like. And that started at such a young age for me, the strive for perfectionism, unhealthy, yeah. unrealistic, constantly criticizing and overanalyzing. A lot of it was rooted in my appearance and my body. And I missed out on a whole lot of growth. And, you know, I was telling someone the other day, it's, this is an ongoing journey. When I, in that moment of motherhood, you know, I had my plan. This is how my birth will go. This is what it'll look like. I'll do this. I'll do that. Well, none of that happened. I I had an emergency section and it was actually kind of scary. And, you know, I, I got home and I realized that here I was again, and I'd faced this same scenario in terms of my life. What did I do? I made this big plan. You know, I did all, I had set these expectations and I had to grieve all of that. And, and really I felt like this was, it was a wake up call. And, you know, I kind of had to go back and do more work around that and give myself, you know, that, that freedom and, and realize that it's okay for it not to go that way. And that, you know, and not everything has to, to go by the book. And I was missing out on parts of discovery in that during mm-hmm. that time because I was so wrapped up in what it was supposed to look like or what I thought it was supposed to look like. You know, that I lost that curiosity. I lost that perspective. And and I think that I have many times I have found myself along this journey where you stop changing and you stop evolving. Mm. And that's, you know, when, when you get too far into, into that, it has to be this way. And that's, you know, the ultimate heartbreak for me is is losing out on on that. I experienced that through my divorce, too at a young age of, you know, thinking I knew what the plan is, you know, it's 
like I made the baseball team check. I graduated salutatorian check. I, I met the husband. I went to college. You have all these plans and the steadfastness of that provides a lot of security. But, mm-hmm. you know, it also, like I said, stops you from growing, stops you from experiencing. And, and I, you know, you stop discovering yourself and who you are. Yeah. And, and gaining that perspective. And so that's the true heartbreak. And in that moment that I write about in the chapter about motherhood, it's called, it's called Scarred, chapter nine, it all came back to me. The kind of the mm. scenarios that I had lived this in, in my life previously, it all came back to me in that moment. So mm. it's, it's really easy as mothers, I think, to do that, to get into that space. But it was a great wake-up call. And I, I let myself have have a moment of grieving what I thought it was supposed to look like. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes a good cry is, 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 is a lot of what we, we all need. Yeah. yeah. That permission to grieve, it didn't look like I wanted it to look. And I think sometimes we, we spend so much of our lives just like skipping over that and not giving ourselves the space to feel that, that then it comes out sideways. Um, I know that that was my own personal experience. Like you get sent home with this little teeny tiny creature that demands that you, care to their every need and then all of a sudden it just comes out of nowhere if we don't give us our space so I loved how you wrote how you gave yourself that space and even just the room to come back to yourself and rediscover who you were hey everyone I wanted to pop in and give you our podcast listeners a little early access to Onsite's Black Friday sale happening this week from now until next Monday, you can get 30% off any of our digital offerings. This is the steepest discount we'll offer all year long. And 30% off your entire order from the Onsite Mercantile. Just use the code LIVINGCENTERED at both onsiteisonline.com and onsite.com store to get that 30% off. Just head to the show notes for more details and let's get back to the interview. I'm interested to hear a little bit more about the concept of gray and how 10 years ago you decided, you know, you started, or 12 years ago you started this blog, Happily Gray. And what does that mean to you? I think you give a really beautiful description of like the bliss of uncertainty, but how have you learned to live holding gray and holding perfectionism together? Yeah. Yes. So I talk about it a lot in the beginning of the book because I get asked this question a lot is, you know, what is the meaning of happily gray? And a lot of people think that it's tied to like my love for gray, monochromatic, no color. (laughs) It's actually very untrue. Um, So I started writing about happily gray in my early 20s. And at the time, I grew up in a very small town, very rural, very conservative. And life was kind of felt rigid. And, you know, I'm incredibly thankful for the values and the morals that I had instilled into me growing up. But I think the plan was kind of presented in a way that it was either the, this, the right way or the wrong way. And there was nothing mm. in between. And in my 20s, you know, I think that, that that period of discovery of kind of the doors were starting to open up. And I was starting to kind of think on my own. I started realizing this gray space is really the happy space. And that's where I felt the most creative. And that's where I felt the most free. I also felt the most uncertain, mm-hmm. unpaved way. And I found a lot of freedom in, in that gray area. And I, I felt like for the first time I was able to kind of understand 
you know, why it is what I want in life and what I believe. And um, it felt like the safe space, the creative mm. space. How did other people react to you sort of choosing this life of gray? Yeah, you know, I think that even my parents still, you know, there there's not a day in my life that I won't be incredibly deeply thankful for, you know, the values and, and morals that they instilled. But we weren't quite the family that sat around the fire and talked about our emotions and our feelings. And, yeah. and a lot of that generation wasn't. And so yeah. it's um, but as a kid, I remember feeling a lot. I would sit in a room and I could feel what the, the other people how they were responding, what they were feeling without anyone using any words. And I have a great relationship with my mother and my, my father now. And I think that they, they, they see too that this, this next generation, you know, that they value that. There's a lot of mm-hmm. talk, and a lot of work being done around, you know, th- these big feelings and self-care and, <laughs> you know, what that means and let let's let's not just sweep it under the rug let's talk about it let's let's be honest and real with each other and so it's not easy and I would say certainly my family's not good at it but um, (laughs) my my mom and dad both read this book and they were very proud and excited and you know what meant the most to me is my dad called me and he said wow I learned a lot about you Mm-hmm. And I just, it, it, it took me back. Um, I, I did not expect him to say anything like that. And I mean, I'll, I'll treasure those words, you know, forever. Cause it, I could tell that you know, these stories that he understood, you know, the weight and, and the, the magnitude of some of them. And so it meant a lot to me. He was recognizing that. I love that you had that moment with them. I feel like I agree. I mean, you know, my parents are similar. I, and, and really their generation is so different. I think they sort of watch the way I navigate life and my friendships. And they're so curious about like how close we, my friends are and the amount of stuff we share with one another, you know, walking friends through divorces and I'm a single mother. And so I'm inviting them in to help with my journey, raising Ben and, you know, it's like been really cool to sort of be able to have conversations with them on the back end of big decisions that feel scary and risky. And I know they're pushing and stretching to them for them to say like, oh my gosh, I think that's the best thing ever. You know, like it's like watching them sort of learn from a different way that we're leading our lives is really a cool gift that we have kind of in the season of being in between. And I had that same conversation with my mom at times and that she was like, wow, I just, I, you know, I didn't quite see it that way, but, but, but I do understand it. And, you know, they, they just grew up so differently than us. And so I think that it's, it, it's, it is really cool when you can kind of come together and there can be an appreciation, you know, there and an understanding. That's yeah. beautiful. Um, you talked about, you used the word safety in two different contexts. And so I wondered if we could kind of explore that a little bit. You talked about, I, I really sought this like security and safety and I married the doctor and I was the nurse and I was going to have this whole plan. And then when you started to explore this gray space and find the creativity, you found a different kind of safety in that. And so I wondered what that transition looked like. I thought about that even at the beginning when you were talking about, I was a nurse and now I run this business. Like, 
what did that transition look like and how did you dive into the risk of that? Because there are two different kinds of safety that I think we can pursue in life, the safety of being true to ourselves or the safety of what I thought it should look like. I think a lot of that was, you know, honoring who I was. And and at mm-hmm. the time it, it was unclear because I, I do feel like through my early I, you know, one, you're still definitely I think yeah. I denied myself of that all through childhood and going through high school. I denied myself mm. that just like discovery. And that wake up call when I was going through at the time, an eating disorder, and then also mm-hmm. um, being married and kind of realizing this is not the right decision, it was a re- it was kind of going back to the safety of honoring who I am, who I'm going to become and giving myself the freedom to lean into that, to Mm. be and understand and learn about my heart and what this journey would would look like. And there was a lot of shame rooted in that for me at that time in my life. That was kind of the, Mm. that was the biggest theme during that time. And I, you know, it took kind of, working through a lot of that shame to be able then to even begin the journey of letting myself have that freedom Mm. and letting myself on that path of discovery. And yeah, so I would, I would say that safety was really tied back to knowing that I I wanted to honor this, this new discovery of, of this just journey of uncertainty at times and journey of like the childlike wonder. The theme in this book is, kind of through every single chapter it's about getting back to that sense of childlike wonder that escapes us as an adult and I think I took that on when I was like 15 I mean I just had plan I had the idea this is what it's going to be like and I I swear it escaped me that early and so it just that that was really the beginning of the journey for me of getting back to that that sense of childlike wonder and that discovery do you have like tangible memories of yourself as a child of uh, that where you feel like you're like living that out and before it got lost oh yeah um so chapter one's about fishing and okay. so fishing is like some of the, the greatest sense of joy for me as a ch- as a child my dad is a big fisherman still is every time I go home we fish in like a john boat <laughs> on the pond I I grew up on a 500 acre farm and there's pond there's several ponds on the farm and so fishing was always like just this this, such a joyful excursion either we would go out to the ponds or I would go to Caddo Lake with my dad and I have such sweet sweet childhood memories of that and you know I think where a big turn for me was when getting into school and playing sports Mm -hmm. and some of the the pressures and the pressures to be and become and to achieve. And that's just kind of innately me. I'm an Enneagram three and I am just a true heart achiever. And so mm-hmm. at that, that's when I really started seeing the shift of this, this unrealistic um, pressures and, you know, expectations set. But fishing was always like, it's, it's just my fondest. And I still do it to this day when I go home. I always, and I think it's important to do, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but I think it's important mm-hmm. to do those things as an adult, you know, to, that, that bring us back to those, those places and that make yeah. you feel silly and that make you belly laugh 
and make you feel like a kid again, you know? And fishing for me is always that. Every single time I travel I'm, that I'm home with my parents in Texas, that's my dad and I always fish. I hope Wait. people can hear the inflection in your voice. Uh, I'm watching your face just light up talking about it. And I think that's super fun. I just loved it. And I love how your book was set up that you even, like there's the narrative and the story, and then you have different elements under each chapter that relate back to it. And in the fishing chapter, you tell people like how to go fishing and it's really fun and playful and like, don't forget your license and do this. And I just, I loved that childlike wonder that came out and you just even talking about it. Uh, it how to bait a hook. Like, yeah, how to bait a hook. And like, it's so cool. <laughs> Well, I think too, because so many people, I mean, a lot of the content we share is so rooted in fashion now and so rooted in, you know, like beauty, skincare, all of that. And so that's such a big part of my upbringing. And those are East Texas, those memories shaped me as a little Mm. girl. So it's such an important piece. And that's why it was front and center chapter one. And, and that kind of established this, this foundation of childlike wonder, like here we are. And then the journey of reading through each chapter is kind of like, you know, as adults, when that can get stripped away from you and, and trying to get back to that place of childlike wonder. And so, yeah, it's just always been like, if there's anything I would do for peace, peace fishing is like my source of yoga. Hmm. I would love to, as we're kind of rounding out this, you talk a lot in the book about Red flags and journaling is one subject that I really just wanted to make sure we talked about because I think it's relevant to our audience. Um, You even like outline red flags and how to identify them. So would you walk us through what that process looks like and maybe share some of the narrative of what was the moment in your life where you've had the red flags and not listened to them? And what does it look like to listen to them? Yeah, yeah. So I talk about red flags and I mean, I talk about them through a lot of things in the book. Um, the one that's mm-hmm. coming to mind now is is my divorce and that intuition. It actually is the chapter where I got married. <laughs> and, <laughs> at, you know, even, you know, that day and leading up, I I felt so many of those red flags. But what I didn't know at that time was my was to trust my gut, sometimes my yeah. intellect. You know, and I think for a lot of us, you know, overcomes and we get in our and we don't listen to our hearts and we don't listen to our, our bodies. Our body can tell us a lot. And yeah. a lot of times my, my innate reaction is to dismiss that. And I've had to do a lot of work over the years to really lean into that. In fact, that was a lot of the work at OnSite is listening. Mm. To Every time I'd enter that room, you start by how are you feeling? Let, let's check in. And mm-hmm. I would always try to go like, you know, take those feelings from my body. And so red flags is a section that, you know, really kind of goes through some of those, you know, moments where I'm like, Oh no, we need to reverse, you know, what's happening. Some of them screen time is up. So mm-hmm. for me, especially, and I, and I think, you know, especially in the world that we live in now, we're attached to our screens. They, you know, kind of can take over every moment of our lives. And so yeah. we have boundaries around when, you know, when we are on our screens and when we're in the actual world. And I think it's really important. I find that when those boundaries are maintained and respected, I just feel a lot healthier about being able to listen to my body versus my head getting in the way. <laughs> Sleep is down. That's a, a big one for me as well. Um, just making sure you rest, like rest mm-hmm. and taking care of, of 
our bodies and, and, and things that, you know, I think that we're trying to avoid during the day. And I always have a sense of like, my sleep isn't as good. And I am just not, you know, things aren't flowing when I'm not getting a full night's rest. So it's simple, but you know, that's a big Mm -hmm. one for me. Um, I'm jumpy and a lot Mm -hmm. of this hard work for me, but meditation, being mindful, just slowing down. Like when I, when I'm sensing that, then I know, you know, something's up, this is probably wrong. And even professionally and personally, when I'm struggling with stuff and I can't come to a place of clarity, you know, Mm. these are all little nuances that I listen to for my body. The page is blank. This is a big Mm. one for uh, my line of work uh, because it's it's rooted in such creativity. And, you know, we do a lot of ideology and brainstorming and, you know, it's just the, it's the, it's the number one sign of, Hey, you need a break. You need to step away. Um, and you know, it's, I, I feel like too, this is like my team, you know, we all can recognize that when it's like tapping out. So I think all of those things, you know, come up and that, I think that gives a lot of clarity around, Hey, red flag, listen to your body. Mm. Don't, you know, don't ignore your heart and your body. When you are experiencing those red flags, like what is your process for getting to the bottom of what they're trying to tell you? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, I think being still and I think journaling for me, Mm. and this looks different for it for anyone, but, um, for me, journaling is a, is a huge point of clarity, of writing it down. It's also such an honest practice. Mm-hmm. It's just you and your words and your thoughts. And so I talk a lot about journaling in, throughout this book in many different sections, but it's, it's very therapeutic. And it, it always paints, it always gives me a lot of clarity as I'm kind of struggling and battling with some of these, you know, red flags, which way do I go? And also, too, I reference a lot of the stuff that I have written in the past. I go mm-hmm. back to that. I actually did that a lot in my pregnancy of going back and, and looking kind of and taking the little gems of picking up on things. That's also helped give me clarity through certain situations. Mm, that's really good. Um, we just read a book for our on-site community book club. And one of the areas was talking about just like identifying what's going on in your body. And so many of us are, you know, uh, grew up in systems where we didn't know how to identify or didn't know how to check in with your body or didn't know even to identify, like, what am I feeling? But so often we can look at the behaviors that we're numbing or the behaviors that we're doing right before that, that maybe we're trying to avoid and using that as a telltale sign to say, okay, there's something that's even just stopping yourself. Say like, okay, curious. So like, can I be clear about what my behaviors are so that then I can even do the work of identifying something needs to be addressed because sometimes we forget, like, you know, we just go. Um, so I love the way that you outline, like, here are the red flags and the behaviors I know are going to show up when I'm not in line with myself. It becomes second nature. Yeah. And, and, and especially if you've grown up in a system that you've just always practiced that and like you're saying, yeah. numb, you're numb to that. And I think mm. it's ongoing. You have to do ongoing work to, to be, you know, aware and mm-hmm. present with those feelings. Yeah. What does your journal practice look like? Do you have like time you do that in the morning or is it more on like a need basis? Is it changed by the season? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So I, I've tried that before and mm-hmm. just with different seasons of life, the consistency yeah. isn't always there. And then there's totally. Like, 
one more thing I didn't get to. So for me, I do it three times a week and it can be anytime whenever I need it. So there's, mm. there's less pressure and sometimes it's actually more if, if the time is there and I feel like I need it sometimes, you know, but I always, it's always three times a week. There's no, it has to be this length. It has to be that not. And I have seven questions that mm. if I don't know what to write about, if there's just nothing going on, which there rarely is, but I always <laughs> come back to those seven questions to kind of prompt and kind of help me like kickstart because it actually, I mean, I've been journaling my whole life, but it actually is kind of a weird practice. And um, mm-hmm. a lot of people have told me like, I just don't know where to start with it. So I share seven questions that kind of help kickstart that, but mm-hmm. I find it really healing and therapeutic and it's kind of, you know, like I said, it's given me a lot of clarity. It's just you and your own words. And it could be very telling of where you're at and kind of what, what, what you're trying to get through. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that you have the history of, you know, like all the things you've done in those journals. And I wish I had that for myself. I know I need to start it now to have them for later. But it's, I'm like, it's, it's pretty funny because when I went to write this book, I I referenced a lot of those old journals and that's how I was able to write about some of the memories in chapter one, because I like literally referenced, um, you know, some of those actual, like, as I was writing them to see my 12 year old self, Mm. reading my 12 year old self's words. It's, it's, it's it's really cool. It's really cool. So it doesn't matter when you start because you also have that reaction even just a year past. I mean, one of the practices I do, um, this just made me think of that, the practices I do with my girlfriends, um, four of my very close girlfriends, every Christmas we do a lunch, and it's like a couple of weeks before Christmas, and we write letters to ourselves to read for that upcoming, that next year. And mm-hmm. the person in the group has the, the honor of mailing out all of the letters, which they should be mm. out in a few mu- in a couple of months, but one mails them all out, and it's such a cool, th- cool perspective when you're reading that to see how your year has changed, and you know the things that have happened. And it, we actually, I actually got this practice, this idea from Onsite. Mm. It's one of the practices you do at the end, and it's just so cool. And then that's kind of a form of you know that reflection. Um, yeah. that journaling can bring in that perspective. I love that. That's a very cool practice and thinking about it in that timeline. Well, Mary, I have just been so grateful for this time that you've given us and uh, I'm really excited for people to get to see a new side of you and to dig into this. I think your book is so beautiful. Um, the chapters are lined out so beautifully and it's just really pretty to hold and look at too. So what would be your hope for this and what would be uh, that you hope people would take away from reading your book? You know, this this book was written for women, and, you know, I, I hope that women feel seen, heard, and understood. And, and more than anything, I hope that they feel less alone or less lost or rejected, that this can be a, a community of connection for them and, you know, being able to read this and be able to say, like, oh, me too. I'm there. And, and, and thank God I'm not alone. And so just feeling feeling that community is would mean the, the most to me. I love that. Well, I have felt that today from our time together. So appreciative of you. Thank you. Thank you. This is an thank honor you, and I'm you. excited to be a part of it and all the work that you guys are doing it on site is it's life changing. And, um, everyone I, I, I know I like 
praise and preach about it. And so I'm excited to hopefully be able to come back and join, join again one day. Yes, we'd love to have you again. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.